0: This morning, as you, as you may know, is the first Sunday of of ordinary time, uh, which is extraordinary in its own way, even though it's very ordinary. And the reason is, is this: we just had Trinity Sunday last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, it was um, very Trinity Trinity themed. Uh, and you might say that Trinity Sunday is, in some regard, the the culmination of the whole Christian calendar. It's, it's really It really is sort of the apex of the Christian calendar in a way. Uh, And it's because if you just follow through the Christian calendar, you think about it. First, we, we come to Advent, right, the very beginning of the Christian year, and we see God's own mission for the world given in Jesus Christ. Then we move into Lent and Easter where we see specifically who Jesus is and what he does. We learn about the character of God the Son. And then, of course, in Pentecost, which we just had, we received the presence of God, the Spirit. And so Trinity Sunday, again, is this kind of culmination of the whole Christian calendar. It's where everything sort of comes together. I think in part, this is what's going on when Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, you might remember it, he says, I have more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. There's more to God's own character Revealed in the triune depth of his own person. He even says at one point in the Gospels, uh, I call you friends because the friend knows what his master is doing. And so we are in this very profound way, we're friends of God. And another way that you might put this, having received this special revelation of who God is, uh, the, the, the mystery and depth of his person, you could say that we actually have a prophetic role, a prophetic role. Because if you think back in the Old Testament, the role of the prophets was not just to tell what the future would have or to to see through walls or things like that. That happens, of course, and that is uh, important to the prophetic ministry. But the basic role of a prophet is to describe what God is doing in the world. That's what the prophets did. They told people exactly what God is doing. They knew. And because we have received the great gift of knowing God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it means that we as Christians actually have this this special role in the world, to to, to sort of be prophets in the world. And so I want to explore with you today a little bit of what that might mean, being post-Pentecost Christians and our role of being a prophetic people. And I want to do that through Elijah. I want to do that through the story of Elijah. We have this remarkable example this morning, of one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. I'm only going to, as a side note, I'm only going to focus on the first half of this story. The story, is, you remember, is long. <laughs> you, could, you really could split it into five sermons. There are five sermons in there, at least. Um, but I'm going to focus on just that beginning part. But I need to tell you a little bit about Elijah first. Elijah, in some ways, was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was so amazing, in fact, that when Jesus came hundreds of years later... You remember who people thought he was they thought he was elijah because elijah was so special to the jewish people but he was a prophet historically of the northern kingdom of israel so if you look back at the history of israel there was a period where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom they split apart and the northern kingdom was uh well i'll put it this way the southern kingdom was the holy people they were the people who were devoted to god who who guarded their special devotion to Yahweh with particularity and care, while the northern kingdom was prone to idolatry. And you see this all throughout the Book of the King, uh, books of Kings and Chronicles, they continually fail and worship uh, idols. And so Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom, which would not be a comfortable place to be a prophet. And so he uh, was during the reign of, um, of Ahab, who, again, as you may remember, was one of the, the more um, wicked kings. In fact, I think the, old, the, the reading just before ours, chapter 18, says that he was the most wicked king of all of Israel. And it was because he worshipped Baal. Baal is actually pronounced Baal, but for the sake of ease, let's just call him Baal. Baal was a, a, a god of the, um, not of the Jewish people, but was a, a, an incredible temptation for the Israelites and one of the most famous things that Elijah did during his uh, ministry was to slay all of the prophets of Baal. And you might remember this story. It's a, it's a prominent story in the Old Testament. It's where uh, basically Elijah calls on a competition. He says, we will challenge the, the, the gods of, excuse me, the prophets of Yahweh will challenge the prophets of Baal to a sort of duel. We'll both off, offer sacrifices to our gods And whoever's God shows up is the real God. And so you remember, they bring out all of these sacrifices, they bring out bulls, they soak them in water, and Baal never shows up. But the God of the Bible, the God of Yahweh, does show up. And he shows up in this enormous pillar of fire, he consumes the sacrifices, and then Elijah jumps in front of the crowd and he says, don't you see who the real God is? And then all of the Israelites suddenly turn on the prophets of Baal and they slaughter all of them. It's kind of a wild scene. It's definitely like a PG-13 sort of scene in the Old Testament. And so Ahab finds out about this. This is where our reading picks up at the very beginning. It says Ahab finds out about what he has done to the prophets of Baal. He's destroyed all of them. And it's even worse than that because Ahab's wife, Jezebel, finds out. And Jezebel is one of those women who gets things done. And she was not a very merciful lady. And so she sends a messenger to Elijah and basically says, you better run because come this time tomorrow, you're going to die. And so like any good prophet, Elijah runs. (laughs) He heads south. Again, the northern kingdom, there are people of, uh, They're not who you want to be if you're a prophet, as I mentioned. So he goes south. He goes into the southern kingdom where he he feels like he might have a a better chance. Uh, But, of course, he knows who Jezebel is. He knows who Ahab is. And he realizes that his chances are still slim. So he tells his servant even, this is interesting, he says, you stay here. (laughs) You follow me, and it's not going to work out well. So he leaves his servant at the last town before the desert. And then he goes deep into the desert. And he comes at one point. This is where I want to focus on. He comes to a tree, and he lays down underneath the tree, and he says, "I just let's just end it here, God. I'm done. He says, just take me now. And I want to pause here for just a minute, because this is actually a a complex scene. It's not as simple as it comes across. Because Elijah has had a scenario almost identical to this just a chapter or two before, where he confronted Ahab, He was commanded to retreat into the wilderness. God miraculously provided for him, and he made no complaint. All was well. But here, in this moment, underneath the tree, in the middle of the desert, he cries out to God in dramatic language, and he says, it is enough. This is enough. I I am no better than my ancestors, the Israelites who wandered in the desert, basically that desert, in fact, for, for 40 years. Just take me now. I have done enough, just let me die. And so this is a low moment for Elijah, obviously, it's low. <laughs> However, I don't think it is a moment of complete and utter resignation. Remember he'd done some amazing things for God. And so I don't think it's like when, when Job, as you may remember at one point uh, during his saga, he says, curse the day that I was born. That's resignation right there. Nor is it a kind of final satisfaction and what God has done, ridding northern kingdom of their idols. It's not like when, when, the inf- excuse me, when Simeon sees the infant Jesus, you remember that, and he says, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen the Savior. It's not like that either. It's somewhere in between. And I think this is helpful because it conditions the way that this text can be applied to our lives. I think what Elijah is saying here is, I can't do anymore. I've done enough. This is, again, different than resignation. It is also different than a kind of satisfaction. It is, in other words, saying, I have tried to be faithful. I I have tried to be obedient to the best of my ability. I have done my duty, and you can see it, and I do not think I can do any more. I've done all that I can. And remember, he has done quite a bit. Let me just rehearse this for you. He has shamed the false god, Baal, publicly. He has spoken out against the wicked king Ahab, who he knows is a big deal. That is a very big deal. He has rid all of the northern kingdom of the uh, priests of Baal. And he has done exactly what God called him to do. He's done all of it. So you see, this is someone in this very moment who has done incredible, remarkable things for God. He has achieved the purposes that God has set him to pursue And so he says, isn't this enough? Isn't it enough? And I wonder for you if you have felt that way before as well. I wonder if this scenario is not actually that foreign, (laughs) but you have said something similar maybe. Maybe you have prayed just like Elijah. I realize of course that I'm no better than my ancestors And yet, I've tried to be a person of integrity. I have tried to do what you say. I've tried to raise my kids to be decent people. I've tried to care for others. And yet, I see no repose. Haven't you prayed that before? I'm sure I have. Probably this week. See, you don't even need to be a Christian, actually, to feel this way. Even somebody who doesn't know God can say, I have tried to be a good person. And yet, it is just one thing after the other one thing after the other, and I'm done. And I have to say to you all, is I'm a young pastor, I haven't been doing pastoring all that long, but even as a relatively new pastor, I will tell you, I see so many people who describe their lives as being as exhausted. It's, it's old people, it's young people, it's single people, it's people with families, it's people exhausted from doing worthless things, it's people exhausted from doing very good things, it's people who are exhausted by doing godly things. People are exhausted everywhere. And I don't have the social science research skills to really assess exactly why that is. I have some hunches, we could talk about that later, I suppose, but I'll tell you what, everyone that I encounter has some corner of their heart or soul where they feel utterly exhausted. They they feel like they have ended up in the desert underneath a tree under the hot sun. And so in light of that, I want you to listen closely to what God, through God's messenger and angel, says to Elijah. He says, the journey will be too much for you. Get up and eat and drink. Elijah got up, ate, drank, went back to sleep, woke up again, ate, drank, went back to sleep, and woke up. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a remarkably extravagant answer to prayer. Cold glass of water, a lousy piece of bread baked on a rock. That's not a remarkable provision as far as I can tell. You see, not only does God not remove Elijah from his predicament, he is still in the desert, remember. But that provision is in no way extravagant. It is not even like the manna that fell from heaven in Exodus, again, in the same desert that he's wandering in. But here's my point. It is enough. It's sufficient. It's enough. And so he gets up and he continues on your way. And that is the main thing, actually, that I want us to see this morning. There's so much in this text to explore, but that is the main thing that I want us to see. That we are, in fact, given this special knowledge and relationship with God, we are intended to be servants, prophets of God Most High. We're supposed to be a holy people set aside to serve him. And yet that can be exhausting. You see, the prophetic role is not one of sheer duty, nor is it one of, uh, of absolute, um, how do I put this, nor is it one of complete grace in that we do nothing. It is so much like Elijah being sent on his way. God provides enough. God gives the resources in order for us to continue. He doesn't always remove us from our circumstances. However, he does provide a way. The most recent example I can think of in my life is just a few weeks ago. It was late at night. Was trying to sleep, couldn't sleep, not because I have children, but because I was anxious. And I was worried about a variety of different things, actually not church-related in any way. Uh, and I woke up in the middle of the night And I reached over to my bedside table. I grabbed the glass of tap water that I poured the night before. And I put it to my lips. And I took a drink. And it did one of those miraculous things that happens to glasses of water late at night where it suddenly became sweet. You know what I'm talking about? And all I could think of was, He didn't need to do that. God didn't need to do that. This is so remarkable, I can't believe how good this tastes. And in that moment, it was, I mean, this sounds ridiculously simple, and yet I knew that God would take care of me, and that he would take care of my family, that he'd take care of my parents, and it was all because he provided a simple glass of sweet water in the middle of the night. And so I simply ask you, I, I don't know what sort of prophetic role you've been given, in this church or in this parish or in your neighborhood and i would ask you this one what is the task that god has set before you get clear on that and then two as you pursue that i want you to not fall into this dangerous trap of asking again and again and again whether it is enough you can play the have i done enough game with raising your kids you can play it with your job You can play it in any in any capacity of your life and that is not what the call of the gospel is about the call of the gospel is just like what elijah received follow me it's not are you doing enough it's simply follow me and i'll provide the way now quickly to close i just can't help but this the most remarkable affirmation that god will in fact provide just what you need comes at the very end of our reading did you notice what he was called to do? There's the whole fire and smoke scene on the mountain of Sinai where Moses received the law. God says something that doesn't fit in any way. He says, I want you to go and anoint a king over Syria. Remember, this is a prophet of Israel, not a prophet of Syria. And you know what happens? He obeys. Remember Elijah's call. His primary call is to rid the northern kingdom of of her wickedness elijah goes he anoints a king over syria (laughs) not long after that all of the northern kingdom is rid of his wickedness by who the syrian army the man that elijah had anointed as king you see my point is friends you, you you have a calling that is far too great for you to accomplish and god will do it anyway isn't that remarkable There is a calling that is far too great for you to accomplish. And God says, do not stop, I will provide. And of course, that story looks so much like the story given in the Gospels, where Jesus accomplishes all that we could not for our sakes so that we might continue and be in the presence of God Almighty. It's good news for us today. I think it's good news for all of ordinary time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.